Hey there, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we just try to make sense of the world out there. I am so glad you're here. Thank you so much for tuning in. So last night I went country line dancing, which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. And there were a few interesting things about it. First of all, it was an incredibly diverse group of people, different ages, men, women, straight, gay. Anyway, it was a really diverse group of people, which I thought was very cool because we were just unified by our love for dance. I would like to say we were unified by our love for country music, but the truth is a lot of the line dances were not to country songs. They were to more like hip hop songs. Personally, not my favorite, but that's what the kids are into these days. Anyway, so you have this incredibly diverse group of people there. It was also incredibly crowded and a few people were wearing masks. That was their personal choice. Cool. The rest of us weren't because it was so hot and the dance floor was so crowded. I guess you could make that an argument for masks because we were all close, but it was way too sweaty. Masks would have just been gross. Anyway, so this incredibly diverse group of people and there of course is a stereotype and a true stereotype of the kind of person who's going line dancing. Someone who's a little bit more conservative, loves America, loves their guns, and you definitely saw a lot of people with shirts supporting America, with it. people have American flags on their boots, on their shirts, a lot of things supporting the Second Amendment, so you definitely have people like that. But then I saw this girl wearing a shirt. On the back, it said, no justice, no peace. And it had the picture of the earth on it. And I didn't get to see the front, so I don't know if it was a specific organization or just a generic no justice, no peace type of thing. But here's the deal. She wore her shirt. She was on the same dance floor as the rest of us, dancing the same dances, doing her thing. We were doing our thing. Well, I guess you could say we were all doing the same thing because that's how line dancing goes. But that was it. You had her shirt and then you had someone next to her wearing a Second Amendment come and take it kind of shirt. And we were all just getting along. There were no fights broken out. No one was arguing over politics or whose way of looking at the world was right. We were just unified by this thing we love, which is dancing and being out. And I think it was such a good reminder for me and for all of us, because I talk about it on this show so much about E Pluribus Unum and finding unity, but we keep on trying to find unity, I think, in the wrong places. Now, I do think we have to find unity in deep, meaningful areas like values for there to be true, lasting unity. But let's start with surface stuff. Let's start with dancing. Let's start with shared food preferences, shared activities, favorite books, whatever. You know, let's just try to find that stuff to unify with. And by the way, maybe if we just focus on that stuff instead of politics all the time. I've been meeting more and more people recently who tell me that they just don't watch the news anymore. They don't watch it. They don't read a newspaper. They don't go on Facebook or Twitter or online, whatever. They're just not doing news anymore. And they're all so much happier and they're finding other things to do with their lives. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe we just all need to find other things to do with our lives. Yes, politics and elections are important, and I understand being interested in it and having opinions and having values and beliefs. Obviously, all of those things are reasonable. 
However, based upon all of the people that I've been speaking to who have been letting news and politics out of their lives and somehow they still go to work, they still have to do groceries, they still have to do laundry, they're still hanging out with friends, life goes on. If we all just took a step back, the politicians would still have to do their jobs, the police, firemen, whatever, things would still have to happen and things would still go on and there are always going to be people involved. But I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I personally have to allow myself to get so stressed over every little thing? Because what is my stress doing? It's not changing anything. It's not making a difference. My life still goes on, whether I'm paying attention to every news thing or not paying attention to every news thing. If you're volunteering, that's a different story. If you're taking action, but posting on Facebook or listening to the news, which is just giving you stress or causing anger to other people, it's not changing your life. You still have to pay the bills, still have to get gas in your car. So maybe it's not quite as important. It seems like it's everything, but apparently it's not because apparently people's lives still go on. So that was an interesting thought that I had thanks to this girl who, when I saw her shirt, my first reaction was to roll my eyes and my heart clenched a little bit and I could feel the adrenaline pounding and the frustration because I fundamentally disagree with the idea of no justice, no peace. But we were just dancing and we were all getting along and I got over it and I had an amazing night. So the topic I really want to get to today is Disney and Disneyland. I did talk about Disneyland and some of the stupid changes they are making in a recent episode, but they made another one, another change, or in the process of making a change, which is so incredibly stupid that I decided to just revisit all of the things that they've done recently, which are inane, and which ruined Disney. The first big change, and this one I think we did already talk about, so I won't go into it too much, but I just want to recap. Disney is now loosening its dress code standards. Previously, Disney had very strict standards for its employees who were called cast members at the parks specifically. So hair had to be a natural color and a natural cut. Men's hair couldn't be too long. Women's hair couldn't be too crazily styled. Makeup had to be pretty minimal for women or at least natural looking. And that included nail polish. Nail polish colors had to be very basic, either like clear or very light pink, or maybe it was just clear. It's been a while. And people were supposed to wear, and people were supposed to wear lipstick colors that match their skin tone. Tattoos could not be visible, and people who had tattoos either had to wear long sleeve shirts to cover it, or would have to wear a shirt underneath the long sleeve shirt of their costume, or a jacket that went with their costume, but no tattoos could be visible. And by the way, there were a ton of other dress code rules that had nothing to do with personal choices per se. For instance, if a costume had a pants option and a shorts option, when wearing shorts, we had to wear white socks that went just above the ankle, like tube socks kind of, and we all had to wear just plain black shoes. There could be no logo showing, just plain black. But if we were wearing pants and we had to wear long black socks with our shoes, we couldn't wear ankle socks or colorful socks or anything like that. We were not supposed to wear Jewelry other than earrings, which were very basic, but necklaces and bracelets couldn't be shown. Oh, wedding wedding rings. People could wear wedding rings and a plain basic watch was fine. Couldn't wear bows in your hair. For most costumes, you could wear a shirt underneath if it was cold, but you could only wear a white shirt underneath. Only certain costumes could you wear a black shirt underneath. So 
yes, Disney was very strict, but it wasn't just strict in terms of people's personal preferences. It was also how their costumes work, like the the socks and the long sleeve shirts. You could only use their specific beanie and their specific scarf for when it was cold. So things were very, very particular. Now they've opened it up to be more inclusive so people can have any hairstyle and nail polish. Apparently has to be a solid color, but it could be any color. And men are also allowed to wear nail polish now. It used to be very strict. There were men's costumes and women's costumes, but now since the definition of male and female apparently doesn't exist, men can wear the skirts. Most of the costumes were fairly unisex anyway, so it's not quite as obvious for a woman. Though there are a few where if a woman was wearing it, it would it would be odd. Anyway, so they're making all these changes to the costumes to be more inclusive and allowing people to look how they want to look. And I mentioned this last time when we talked about it, Employees at Disneyland are called cast members, and that language is very specific because when you work at Disneyland, you've been cast in a role. You're putting on, it's like a one giant play. If you work at Disneyland, you're like a, an ensemble member in a giant play telling the story of Tomorrowland or telling the story of Fantasyland. Ultimately, all of you telling the story of Disneyland together. So you get cast, and then your casting director, you know, the person who hires you, gets the costume director to tell you what to wear. And then you listen to what the costume director says. Look, if you are cast as Alphaba in Wicked, you don't get to say, no, I don't want to wear green paint to have green skin and a pointy black hat. That's what the casting director is going to put you in because that's what Alphaba wears. When you work at Disneyland, if you work at the Jungle Cruise, you wear those tan safari skipper looking outfits and your hair's a certain way, and your jewelry is a certain way, and that's just the way it is. It's not about you. It's about the story you're telling and the people who are coming to be told that story. And it is very frustrating to those of us who have worked at Disneyland and also to those of us who have visited Disneyland and love it to think that now when we go, we're going to be pulled out of the story. Because that's what this is going to do. If you walk into Fantasyland and you go onto the, onto Pinocchio's daring adventure and see someone who is clearly a man dressed as a woman or a woman with spiky blue hair, that's not going to feel like German fairy tale Fantasyland, which is what Fantasyland looks like. You're going to realize that you're still in 2021 and that's going to make you remember your debt and your homework that you have to do and that annoying thing your boss keeps doing or whatever it is, it's going to take you out. The point of going to Disney was a place for families to come together and a little bit of escapism and to tell a story. And by Disney making all these new rules or loosening the rules, really, it's like they've forgotten what their purpose is. And it's sad, really. They clearly don't know why people go to them. Like they don't understand what their purpose is. It's sad, actually. So that's the first big change is the the costumes, and that's a huge one. But they're also making a lot of changes to individual rides because there are outdated cultural depictions or other problematic elements. One of the rides that they're changing is Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain currently is themed to the movie Song of the South. They're going to retheme it to Princess and the Frog. Disney often rethemes rides to keep up with what is currently popular. The submarines used to be themed to the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but now they're themed to Finding Nemo because 
This generation of people knows Finding Nemo better. So that makes perfect sense. That's just what Disney does. They brought in a whole bunch of Frozen things when Frozen was popular. That's what the people want to see, so you give it to them. So it totally makes sense that they would retheme Splash Mountain to Princess and the Frog, because Princess and the Frog is a more recent movie than Song of the South. But that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because Song of the South is racist, question mark? If you've never been on Splash Mountain, I will give you a brief rundown. It is a log water ride. So you sit in a log and you're going through these watery tunnels. First, you're indoors and you see all these singing, smiling animals. At one point, you realize that this fox is trying to catch this rabbit and you follow the rabbit's harrowing journey through more adorable singing animals, through the water, down a huge drop, and then the day is all good at the end and there are more happy singing animals. It is taken from the stories from Song of the South, but honestly, I bet most people who have been on Splash Mountain have no idea of that. And part of the reason they have no idea of that is because you can't buy Song of the South in the US. Disney has basically banned it and it's nearly impossible to find a copy. I have a copy and it is honestly one of my most prized possessions. So Song of the South, which came out in 1946, is based off of the Uncle Remus stories written by Joel Chandler Harris. Harris was an author in the 19th century and he lived in the South. He wrote the Uncle Remus stories to Quote, preserve in permanent shape those curious mementos of a period that will no doubt be sadly misrepresented by historians of the future. So he worked by a plantation and he found that he actually had a lot in common with the slaves because he, being a redheaded Irishman and also fatherless, he was an outcast and he got along with the slaves who were obviously also an out, who were obviously also outcasts in southern society. So he fell in love with their stories and he wanted to share them. Also during reconstruction, he wanted to help with there being some racial reconciliation. So he wrote these stories down, stories taken from and also inspired by the stories told by the slaves. The character of Uncle Remus is an amalgamation of two actual slaves that he met. And he was trying to preserve, preserve their stories, preserve their culture. And he was very popular in his day. Most people now know of his stories because of Song of the South, but at the time and following, the stories were really popular and he was really well known. And as we know, Disney made most of his movies not based on original stories, but he used source material that he found really interesting. So Song of the South is one of those. He used the Uncle Remus stories. When the movie came out, the NAACP had a problem with it because it said it depicted an idyllic slave-master relationship, which didn't exist. So even at the time, which was 1946, people had a problem with the movie for even then, apparently outdated cultural depictions. So the movie has not been widely seen. However, if you've ever heard the song Zippity Doodah, that came from the movie and that is still wildly popular. I wonder if Disney will have to stop using the song Zippity Doodah because it comes from Song of the South. They haven't commented on it yet, but I feel like someone should make that point to them. Also, something super amazing about the movie. The star, the man who played Uncle Remus, is James Baskett, and he was the first black man to win an Academy Award. He won an honorary Academy Award, and I can't remember if it's because they wouldn't nominate him 
or they just didn't nominate him. But I do know that Disney, Walt Disney himself campaigned really hard to the Academy that they should award Basket with, with an Oscar because apparently he put so much creative effort into his role as Uncle Remus making a lot of creative decisions. And Walt Disney felt like he deserved recognition for that. By the way, this is Walt Disney who was apparently supposed to be racist. So, but apparently we just throw that word around now and doesn't mean anything anyway. James Basket was also the first Disney star to win an Academy Award. Snow White had won the Honorary Academy Award too, where they gave one big Oscar and seven tiny Oscars, but he was the first actor to win for acting in a Disney movie. So that's pretty cool. But apparently the movie's racist and no one gets to see it. And now we have to change the ride, which by the way, no one would know was based off of Song of the South and just shows a bunch of animals singing about everyone having a laughing place, which is very positive that we all have a positive place to go to when we're down. So I don't really know why it needs to change. Also, if they didn't make a big deal about it, if Disney just said, we're changing it to Princess and the Frog because that's more relevant today, no one would make a stink, but they have to be self-righteous about it. And now that makes it stupid and annoying. Oh, I want to go back quickly to the idea so that the NAACP had a problem with the film because of the idyllic slave-master relationship that was depicted. Oh, also, rewind even more. Song of the South is set in Reconstruction. Uncle Remus is not a slave. He's a sharecropper. I know Reconstruction wasn't perfect, and there were a lot of problems still in the South, and being a sharecropper wasn't exactly being the King of England, but Song of the South does not depict slavery, and so it therefore cannot depict an idyllic slave-master relationship because it doesn't depict a slave-master relationship at all. So, sorry about it, NAACP. But, going back to the idea of the idyllic slave-master relationship, did it exist that people got along and acted as family? Probably. Did it also exist that masters beat their slaves within an inch of their life and separated husbands and wives and children from their mothers? Yeah. We probably had both ends of the spectrum and probably a lot of people lived somewhere in the middle. It's interesting, though, that in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, we see the same kind of relationship depicted of a slave and master getting along and having a very close, intimate, positive relationship. Yes, the, for instance, Uncle Tom is still sold by his master who is making an economic decision. So I'm not saying that it's perfect, but she does also depict positivity, which I don't know, would indicate to me that there probably were people who were like that. And then again, we had people on the other end of the spectrum. And whether the slaves got along with their masters because of some sort of like Stockholm syndrome or something like that, or because they internalized the oppression. That's very possible, but it doesn't mean that people weren't getting along. Also, one more sidetrack, and then we'll get back to Disney. Have you ever noticed that if you have a conversation with someone and try to say that Americans were not the only ones to have slavery, in fact, there were slaves in other, in fact, there still are slaves in other places in the world. And if you specifically mention Muslim slavery, the fact that Muslims and Arabs owned slaves. People are so quick to say, oh yeah, but they were really nice to their slaves. So two seconds ago, you told me I can't depict an idyllic slave-master relationship in fiction about something that happened a hundred years ago for American slave owners, but you're going to rush to the defense of Muslim slave owners because they were nice to their slaves. Either slavery is so bad that it doesn't matter if masters act kindly or we do make a moral distinction between slave owners who 
mercilessly beat their slaves and slave owners who treat their slaves more humanely. You can't say that it's okay for Muslims to have been slave owners because they treated their slaves nicely, but not for Americans. That's just not, that's just not very consistent. And I have a problem with inconsistency. Back to Disney. So one of the other rides that they are changing is Jungle Cruise. There are a lot of outdated cultural depictions there. For instance, when the rhino has chased three guides and their tourist up a pole, the three guides are black and the tourist is white. The white man is at the top of the pole and the three guides are at the bottom, which obviously indicates that it was racist because the white person is closer to safety than the black men. Well, if you are the tour guide, no matter what your race, you probably are letting your tourists, your charges, go up to safety first. And since this is supposed to be set in Africa, it's very likely that the tour guides are black because there are a lot of black people in Africa. Interestingly, I saw a picture from my grandparents from a vacation they took. We think it was to the Caribbean and they're, all of the tour guides are black because they're in the Caribbean and they're people with black skin who live there. And so they're the ones giving the tours. So that's basically what it is in Jungle Cruise, but apparently that's racist because it implies white people are better, which again, none of us would have thought until you pointed it out to us, but they had to get rid of it. There's also a trader at the end of the ride. His name is Trader Sam, and he is the head salesman of the jungle, and he has a great deal for everyone on the Jungle Cruise, two of his heads for one of yours. Now, he's a shrunken head salesman, so these are all jokes because two of his shrunken heads for one of yours. Anyway, it's very funny. That's one of the reasons the Jungle Cruise is so great because they have all these funny jokes that they tell, but apparently him selling shrunken heads is racist because, I mean, shrunken heads come from somewhere, I assume. I don't think they made it up at Disneyland, Um, but if they did, then is it an outdated cultural depiction or is it just a Disney depiction? Anyway, apparently he's racist, so now Trader Sam is gone, even though everyone loves Trader Sam, and I don't think anyone looked at Trader Sam and then looked at the black person sitting next to them on the Jungle Cruise and thought, oh, this is what black people do. Trader Sam is gone. I was reading an article about it and I couldn't find for sure, but I assume this has to be gone. In the middle of the ride, you pass by a group of Africans dancing and chanting. And the joke is that the tour guide or the skipper translates what they're saying and translates it as the hokey pokey or something equally silly. I assume that has to be gone because obviously joking about the hokey pokey is deeply offensive. So all of those are gone. Instead, up the pole by the rhino are going to be a di- culturally diverse group of people, and they're now adding in a woman of color named Alberta Falls, and she's going to be the tour guide. They're changing the story a little bit also, so I it's not so clear just from reading the article. It will probably be clear when actually riding the ride. Anyway, they're making all these changes, and again, if they didn't say it, If they didn't tell people that they were were outdated cultural depictions, I don't think most people would think that because most of us recognize that when we're seeing audio animatronics that it's not real life, but they feel the need to make all these changes to a ride that has been open since the park opened. One of the few that has actually been open since the park opened, so it's actually very sad that it's changing. There's one ride that they already changed a few years ago, Pirates of the Caribbean, which I realize might be the original POC, Pirates of Caribbean. 
There used to be in Pirates of the Caribbean this line of pirates selling women as brides. And then a few scenes later, you see the brides chasing their pirate husbands around. So you can see that the women get the upper hand eventually. But they took this away because it was offensive to women. So now there's no more wife sale. And one of the very popular brides who was a redhead, who was kind of slutty because the rest of the girls who looked fairly unhappy about being enslaved to a man, she was kind of showing off a little bit. So she's still in it, but now she's a pirate. But they had to take it out because it was offensive to women. This one boggles my mind because pirates were bad. So why can't we show them being bad? It's not offensive to women to show women in a place of distress if the place of distress is from people who are bad, in this case, pirates. Like, that's not offensive to women. Offensive to women would be, well, the redhead, right? Or or a woman throwing herself at the pirates or a woman betraying her loved ones. I don't know, something like that. That's offensive to women, showing them as weak and immoral or stupid. But showing them as victims of victimizers is just, that's offensive to pirates, but we don't care about being offensive to pirates, do we? They're the bad guys. Anyway, that one's been changed for a while, but that one didn't make sense to me. The fifth change, and I don't know what the change is going to look like yet, but apparently people are upset because in Snow White, there's a non-consensual kiss. I'm sorry, I should have told you before I said those words that it was a trigger warning. Yes, there is a non-consensual kiss in Snow White when she is in her glass coffin with the dwarves mournfully surrounding her. The prince comes and gives her a kiss, which awakens her. But of course, the kiss is not consensual because as far as everyone's aware, Snow White's dead and dead people can't give consent. And how horrible that the prince would kiss her without asking for her consent. Oh my goodness, it's disgusting and we need to teach people about consent and blah, blah, blah. How many movies have we all seen where someone's true love died and they give them one last kiss because the last moment they're holding the body close? That's a very romantic and tragic sort of thing. So you could look at the kiss that way. If you want to take the story very literally, if which apparently people are because they're talking about non-consent, then he's in despair and he sees his true love and he wants this one last moment. But if you look at the story a little bit more metaphorically, which we should do because they are fairy tales and they're not meant to be taken literally, but they are meant to be taken metaphorically to teach us lessons, the kiss is not about a kiss. The kiss represents true love conquering all, true love conquering evil, or not even true love, just love conquers all, love conquers evil, because it was the evil queen that turned or that put Snow White into this coma, and it's love that wakens her from it. So love can overcome even the most evil thing. That's what that Snow White kiss is. It's about love triumphing over everything, which I would think Disney would support, but apparently they don't understand their own stories. Disney clearly doesn't understand itself, and frankly, I think they should hire me to help figure it out, figure themselves out. But have we maybe gotten to the point where we're taking things a little too seriously if we're concerned about an animatronic prince kissing an animatronic 
Snow White and it being non-consensual or outdated cultural depictions in rides. It's weird. We take some things way too seriously, like those two things, and then some things like the fact that our country's in massive debt and there's rampant homelessness and we have floods of immigrants that we don't know who they are, where they're coming from. That sort of stuff people don't really care about and don't seem to take seriously, but what's happening at Disneyland, which was supposed to be the happiest place on earth and is a place of fairy tale and magic and wonder and fun, is very, very serious. feel like things have gotten a little bit turned around when people are more concerned about that than they are about the homeless people living outside of Disneyland. I think we've got our priorities out of order. And the problem is that Disney truly doesn't understand itself. They don't understand the purpose that they serve in people's life, which is wish fulfillment and a depiction of that dreams can come true. Disneyland itself is a place for escapism. It's a place for family, for childhood. It's not a place for social justice issues. When Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs came out in 1937, people called it Disney's folly because they thought for sure he was going to fail. Well, he didn't, and now Disney is one of the largest companies in the world, beloved by children and adults all across the globe. So I don't want to predict Disney's downfall quite yet. Also, I don't want them to downfall. I hope that they turn things around and get back to who they were. But if they keep on going in this direction, I think they're going to lose a lot of fans. I'm not buying any of their products. I know a lot of my friends who aren't buying any of their products. Die-hard Disney fans. When we're not going to Disneyland, we're not buying new Disney merchandise. And it's my birthday coming up, and I told people not to buy me Disney merchandise so that they don't spend money on Disney stuff. So if that's me, what is that going to say about other Disney fans who are tired of their silliness and their self-righteousness and their do-goodery? You know, it's interesting. Disney always taught kindness and inclusion and loyalty and honor and all of these positive things that Disney's trying to do now, but they've lost their tether for some reason. It's like they kept the values, but not the reason why. It's like a lot of Jews and Christians who kept the values of compassion and kindness and justice, but lost the tether of God's word and the Bible. And so now they put their values in all these terrible places. It feels like Disney's kind of doing the same thing because Disney movies always taught about friendship and love and kindness and sticking up for a the underdog, and all these really positive messages, positive values, but now they just seem untethered and they're going crazy. Just think about how inclusive Disney was. When you watch Cinderella, you didn't have to be a blonde female to think that someday your dreams could come true. You didn't have to be an elephant to watch Dumbo and think that one day you could rise above bullies if you believed in yourself. You didn't have to be a deer to watch Bambi and think that you could take on responsibility. They were good messages passed on through stories. And if it bothered you who the story is passed on through, then you're shallow because you're looking only skin deep and these stories were not skin deep. They're much deeper and they tell us much more. You're missing the point. And I'm sorry for you. And I'm sorry for everyone who takes things so seriously that aren't so serious because you must be really unhappy. And I feel bad for people who are really unhappy because I am blessed to have a very happy, positive demeanor, and I know it really sucks for people who don't have that. So if you're one of those people, I'm sorry, and i truly, truly sorry. And I hope that you can find happiness, 
which I know is not always so easy, but it is doable. And one excellent way to become more happy is to start acting happy. And a good way to act happy is to act kindly. And so I say to you all, remember, always act a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!